Beardy and the Beast Media Club. This is placeholder intro song. <laughs> Welcome to a very spooky edition of Beardy and the Beast. A spoiler-filled discussion into a piece of media. We will not drop a giant block on spoilers to send them to their grave. We're available here and on many other services listed at beardyandthebeast.com. If you are chilled to the bone, give us a like and a follow. My name is Drew, and joining with us, of course, is fellow super smart, genetically enhanced lab animal Devin. Yo. This month, we're revisiting films that frightened us as children. Today, we're discussing 1982 animated Scarathon, The Secret of Nim. So, Devin, after revisiting this piece, did you gri grip your blanket tight? Did you stay up all night in a state of total fright? Work on not tripping over that. <laughs> was, considering how much I was having trouble speaking before I hit record, I am amazed. Watching this movie again, and it's been a long time since I watched it, I see exactly why I was scared of it as a kid. Mm -hmm. This movie is... It's dark. I mean, Don Bluth's films tend to be dark as it is. It was dark enough that one of the producers was surprised it didn't get rated higher. Like, it got the G rating instead of... They thought it'd get at least PG. Yeah, I would expect a PG on this film. Yeah. yeah. But he's, like, crushed limbs hanging out a pile of rubble. Should have pushed it over. And, um, like, the stabbings. The, yeah, the straight-up stabbings. Um... Uh... Like some of the set pieces too, they're just like something you'd expect right out of a horror game. I mean, that's Don Bluth. He's never, he doesn't shy away from the dark. Mm. And it's funny. I know I, I said this to you previously. It's like, um, you know, just told, I, I was talking to my mom about, about what we're doing and told her our plans for, for Spooktober. <laughs> and I said it's going to be movies that scared us as kids and and she's like well you're probably not going to do Fantasia because Night in Cherbourg is terrifying but she's bad at naming movies so she's like oh it's that one where like they have to move the house because the tractor's coming <laughs> <laughs> like first movie like well technically second movie that came to her head and I'm like yep I made the right choice here <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 funny that you mentioned talking to your mom because I actually texted my mom and I was like, "Hey, mom, have I ever seen this movie? Because I I don't remember anything about it or what it was about. Yeah. Yeah. I just heard the name." And her reply was like, "No, I'm pretty sure you hadn't. You didn't see this movie as a kid." Like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I didn't I didn't talk to mine about what it was about because my mom would probably say. Something about Terminator, but it wasn't Terminator that she that actually frightened me. It was Child's Play, and I don't want to watch Child's Play. Yeah, and it's kind of I mean, not fine what we're doing for October. I mean, <laughs> it's the criteria. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I totally get why this would frighten a child. Like when I was doing some research on this film, one of the Google searches was like the the reason why so many kids were traumatized by the Secret of Nim. In the search engine, I was like, oh, geez. Oh, geez. <laughs> but it's, uh, the, the darkness of the animation and the color palette 
I'm just mm-hmm. gonna like throw out a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So the darkness of the animation, the color pa- palette, the fingers of the old Mystic Rat. Mm-hmm. Definitely kind of harken back to things like like the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. And her hand. Let's step back. Yeah. So the color palette. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's primarily where you get that dark atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, like the backgrounds, vivid, but somehow also muted, detailed, yes. and very dark. Like there's times you're sitting there and the the only light character is either the crow or miss uh, mrs brisby yeah of course they're the ones that are naive to this world yeah. those are the big thing that i noticed right out the gate uh like during the intro even as it was coming up to the title screen yeah i was like oh i get why this would be frightening and there's other amazing like i mean the music is is very tense when it's going through mm. um add it to that and you get these juxtapositions of just like really bright scenes as well mm-hmm. like um you know be it the the homestead or i want to say it was like the council entrance or like as she's entering um the, the rose bush so when she sees like the the little like meadow in the middle of the rose bush that was like kind of the scenic, yeah, a nice like a beautiful little cottage sort of thing, yeah, exactly. And then immediately attacked by a very vicious like strong aggressive rat, yeah, uh, with a knight or a, a polearm halberd, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, an electrified halberd. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was badass. I want him <laughs> protecting my rose. Bush. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, is so. So there's a lot of that, um, and that's not even to mention like just the adult fears that are wholly present throughout this film. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like this is stuff obviously that would have been lost on me as a kid. But Brisby, who's relatively recently lost her husband, has a kid too sick to move when a tractor's coming, and all she's thinking about is like, I've got to save my kids. How am I going to save my kids? Mm. And, you know, it culminating in the end with, like, her house literally sinking with her kids stuck inside. And one of them is bedridden and wouldn't even have a chance to escape. I'm like, and the absolute sheer panic that was on Brisby's face at that point. Mm. It stood out to me so much. I'm like, like, just the sheer terror. Like, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> And they, yeah, they did really, really good with the, like the the emotions on this little, was she a field mouse? Yeah. Um, little on her field mouse face. Her and her movements definitely. I wouldn't quite say what you would expect from like a really good at, like live actress, mm-hmm. but when we're when we're talking. Was this again 82? 82, yeah. 82 animation, like that was pretty advanced in my opinion. Yeah. Um, 
Like that'd in, be on the level of the stuff that was coming out of Japan around that. Yeah. Well, I, I'll segue just with the the animation there for a quick second. Um, so Don Bluth, of course, was a Disney animator, mm-hmm. and this was, I believe, this is his first theatrical film as him when he took like a whole bunch of Disney animators with them because they didn't like how Disney was starting to simplify their animations and wanted to go back to um, some of the older animations, like yeah. um, like the Snow White Cinderella's a Sleeping Beauty. So um, I can't, I don't really remember a lot of the other animated films around that time, but I know that a lot of people really um, um, talked about that return to form which is hilarious because we talked about the same, we talked about the same thing when we were talking about um, Earwig, where just with the change in the computer animation and how mm. they use that to simplify stuff, right? And I think we've talked about it just in the past in general with special effects and such. So um, the fact that he went and did this and basically all of the studio said, oh no, you shouldn't do this. And I mean, it it shows like he clearly has a passion for the animation mm. and it really showed through this film and being his first one out it's it's big i think yeah as a as an animated piece i would definitely say it it hit exactly what it was going for i don't think they would have left the animators wanting mm-hmm. i mean i'm gonna hazard a guess and assume that uh, most were as satisfied as an artist could ever be. Yeah. With their piece. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, a lot of, like Don Bluth, um, the composer, I know both of them in particular say this is like their favorite piece. Uh, and I know general critical reception of this is this is like the best Western animated film. Just hands down. Yeah. And like I see why it's um and yeah, I would assume that all the animators are really excited about it too. Um an interesting thing with that is um you know how actors get will get profit sharing. Mm-hmm. The animators got profit sharing on this. Nice. And yeah. Um I think the only real negative to the film when it came out it's 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 a shame that this movie was released at the same time as et oh yes so the movie didn't do as well in the box office because of that but they did it on like a budget like half the size of any of the disney films at the time well didn't they they reduce the budget during production I think this, they said seven million. I think is it costs less than seven million to make, and yeah, it was like half the half the cost of Disney films at the time. But one one of the things to talk about the spookiness of this, I just realized this. Mm-hmm. Your two wise allies, yeah, the Great Owl and Nicodemus. Yep, scariest looking characters in this entire film. I know, right? <laughs> like glowing yellow eyes, like deep, like foreboding voices, and of course, uh, Alice eat mice. Yeah, 
<laughs> and only at night though only at night <laughs> well i mean that's that scene with the great owl is a good framing of why this would be scary i would say that injunction with the juxtaposition between the light and dark scenes that we discussed yeah um so that one like She is confronting her own fears because this could be her doom. Because she's looking for salvation of her kids, so she goes to the Great Owl. She's about to be attacked by a spider. Great Owl crushes it. And, like, head-turning, like... This is a very frightening situation for this mouse. She was cowering, you could tell from the animation. Mm -hmm. And then, like, gets sage advice. The owl just takes off with a like a cowl of spider's webs. Yeah. And I'm like if I was six years old I mean I don't know how the kids are these days but if I was six years old I'd I'd be my pants would be scared off. Mm-hmm. I'd yeah. have trouble sleeping. It's been a long time since I've seen the film as I said and like the big set pieces that scared me I, I, I could remember. Um, like, again, the owl, Brutus, dragon at the end. Mm. Like, I, I clearly... The only thing that was different from those scenes was I thought the scene with dragon was longer. Well, I mean, when you're, when you're a frightened child, like, you could have drawn that out in your head. Yeah. Um... It's like how I thought Tremors was worse than it was, but it's actually one of the best movies of all time. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I saw Tremors. <laughs> it should have been yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Be- beautiful animation. Dark themes and tones. Unfortunately, I did watch it on a high refresh display. Mm. So the it did not transition well. Mm. So when you're looking at like 144 hertz from something that's probably 24 frames a second. Yeah, probably. I got used to it, but it was kind of jarring at first, and that was a technical problem on my side, so it's not like that's a fault for the film. Yeah. Uh, even though it was a now, like a recent version, I'm sad that they didn't go through and do some recolor mapping or something to make it transition more and be truer. Because mm-hmm. you can you can find that when animation is parted over like that, it can even come out either too bright or too muted. Yeah. yeah that's fair. I didn't know if it was the style of it, because I'd never see, actually seen this film before, but it definitely came off as muted to me and not a way that I would be satisfied releasing an animated film so i'm wondering mm-hmm. if that was a technical side of mine or yeah it, it's hard to say because we don't watch it together so yeah i mean i think one of the things when when we're talking about the animation this is part of the the animation style that they were going for when they're going back to some of the basics mm-hmm. um you gotta remember they, they use like the these multi-planar cameras mm-hmm. right so like the background would be set up and it would be designed very much one way um and then you would you'd be able to tell when something was going to move because it had a different color 
And that's, oh yeah, how like a part of a tree will be a lighter color than the yeah, yeah. and and part of that comes from the just the way they do the filming. Uh, I know from a creative standpoint, they actually tried a lot to minimize that. So I, I think I remember seeing some like they basically had like test animations done for everything, so they could go back and recolor up the backgrounds and such to try to make it as well, as, as, as possible. I didn't notice much of that. Like I, I don't know what you'd call that, but for me, it, the biggest reference I would have is you know Saturday morning cartoons were all like that. Mm-hmm. Where the thing that was about to move was always lighter. Yeah. Uh, I didn't notice any of that. So, mm. so yeah. they, so like knowing that uh, and kind of putting it in its time play, time period, that makes a lot of sense. That mm. actually uh, gives me a lot of respect for the animation mm. crew. Yeah. And again, this is all done. This is all hand, hand done, of course, right? Mm. <laughs> I mean, to, to give you an idea of the technical uh, place we were at, um, I know I mentioned E.T. was a movie that came out the same year. Um, this is also the same year Tron came out. Mm. Right? So that's where we're at for technology when it comes to making this film. <laughs> I've definitely had a lot of positive things to say about the animation and a little bit about the sound, which, again, I, I didn't know this much of it, which is always a good sign in my books. Yeah, I either want to super notice it or I want it to be like a hype pump up like hip hop or rock track during a like a mm-hmm. fight scene so, yeah. but that brings me to the story mm. which right, I don't think was very good so I'm going to start by talking about uh, <laughs> the crow in the room um, I don't like the ending <laughs> Like like the very end with the uh, with the gem all of a sudden having magic powers. I don't think that was set up. Um, I know that's very much a Don Bluth edition. Yeah, it's not like that at all in the in the original novel. Mm. Um, um, like in any way, there's a whole bunch of the story that's changed from the original novel. Um, but he literally added that because he thought he thinks he strongly believes animation should have magic. I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's more that animation should be magical. I agree. And I think we see that a bit more with some of his other films. <laughs> well, I mean, the, that being said, like the magical aspect in this film would have been, was it Justin, the old, uh, the old codger guy and Mrs. Brisby riding the elevator down like that scene had a magic to it. Yeah. But bust, busting out, you know, uh, Gemma's ex machina and <laughs> just saving the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I mean, I wasn't even going to harsh on the ending itself, but <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I would have been much more satisfied if all the rats came together to save the kids. Yes. Agreed. And that, again, would have had uh, a magic to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Friendship is magic or some nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Uh, I think, so, I agree the story doesn't feel quite as solid, and it wasn't until actually rereading about 
kind of the design process and the, the writing process for this. Mm. Um, so he very much wanted this to be like a novel. So what, and, and I can see it in retrospect here now, it's, there's a lot of chapters that, that kind of go up and down. So you get the little plot hooks. So you have the, the chapter of her going to get the medicine that kind of ends up being its own little contained story arc. And then there's the story arc of trying to find a way to, to get Timothy out. And there's the separate story. arc. So they're kind of not, they're connected, but not in the same way that most films are. Um, I think it would almost be, again, if it was made into a series, like you'd have chunks of the film be each individual episode. But I think because it's presented as a movie, it makes it feel out of place. See, I I didn't even have a problem with that. Like, I, I, I get what you're saying. And now that you've, like, expressed it like that, I actually see it in hindsight hmm. my major issue with this film is if you were to create this into 12 episode series yeah and then have each chapter being its own episode then your entire jenner arc from betrayal to confessing to death would be 30 seconds of one episode mm. we're talking full like 40 minute episodes or whatever <laughs> like hour longs <laughs> like that's that's where that fell apart for me and i'm like you could legitimately just cut jenner out yeah so yeah jenner was useless <laughs> well it's just um, it's like he said some evil stuff then he did an evil thing, and then he immediately confessed and started fighting about it. Yeah. So I think so. This is again one of those things that differs very much from the books. Um, Jenner is just a character who's against moving. I I almost wonder if this is like, and actually I've seen John Bluth do this a couple times. Um, now that I think about it he has a need for like, and, and this could be the Disney from mm -hmm. him. You need to have a villain. No, you didn't need to have a villain. There was so much going on. We didn't need a villain. Well, I mean, like, like, like someone villainous having someone antagonistic. Sure. Uh, but, yep. but a well, villain, then, like a, a situation or an event can be, can take the place of a antagonist. And there was plenty of that. Yeah. Um, and even just him being a naysayer and putting up roadblocks would have been sufficient. Mm -hmm. But, like, all of a sudden he wants to... It's just, the turnaround of his line, again, was a paragraph in that chapter. Yeah. Where it should have been, like, multiple chapters. Yeah. I'm afraid that, like, if this was more of a... Uh, more recent production a longer production instead mm -hmm. of like your old school hour 20 yeah i don't think it would be any longer there wouldn't be any more development gender character so it's like i bother yeah i could forgive 
most everything else I saw. Yeah. But not Jenner. Yeah. That being said, I enjoyed the character of Jenner. I didn't I, enjoy him in the I didn't enjoy it in the story. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh voice acted very well. Yeah. Like they definitely made it so you wanted to dislike him. There yeah. didn't seem to be anything redeemable about him. Even down to like his weird shaped like evil sword. Yeah. Like everyone else has got like a, a, a straight edge on their blade. Why is yours all weird and curvy? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's Jenner's inclusion that yeah. bugs me. Um, I don't think it's. Um, I'm gonna put words in your mouth here. Oh yeah, I don't think it was. I don't think it was his inclusion. Hmm. I think it was his conclusion. Mm, yeah. Yeah, because, like. The way he's introduced would have actually been kind of that right, again, not villain, antagonist. Right? Um, or roadblock, as you said. They're yeah, talking they... about moving to Thornbush, and he's like, no, we can't do that, and just be that political aspect of going, no, we can't do this, and even the, no, this is happening now, you know, having some conflict there. <laughs> I mean, and they could have went that way with it instead. I'm going to do that thing that I hate doing, but I've been doing a lot lately. So any of your mm -hmm. listeners will probably hear me. I just fixed the, well, fixed finger quotations because it's subjective. Um, <laughs> I guess, yeah, it's the wrong term. I just came up with a, what I deem to be a better line for the Jenner. Yeah. And how this would imagine this. Everything is almost exactly as it is. But Jenner goes, no, we will not help them move. We're, and we're going to stay in this bush. Me and my people will not help them move. So they have a smaller force to move the house. And then that lack of force and lack of ability is what causes the house to fall on Nicodemus. And yep. the same thing occurs. And then you're like, oh, what about Justin? How is Justin going to show that courage that makes thing glow red? Mm -hmm. Well, saving the kids. Yep. And then, of course, you've definitely want to leave that scene where like she's trying to run back into the sinking mud well justin's oh like God. yeah i know heartbreaking right Ooh. yeah but, I chills. yeah <laughs> just just thinking about it now it's like <laughs> yeah just like a, uh. jenner being antagonistic affecting the story why is he swinging a sword around yeah there was there wasn't even really any other swords in in the film. Oh, there's Brutus's halberd. Yeah, but I mean, even it was <laughs> like, makes sense relative to the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Why is this rat politician, the super, this like intelligent rat politician running around with a sword? Why? Because he's evil. This, this brings me back to like, uh, was it, uh, Judge Doom from Who Framed? Yeah. I'm like, his name is Judge Doom, and he's walking around with a cane with a skull on it. Of course he's the bad guy. Yeah, and, and it's it's funny because... I mean, Judge, like, Judge like... Doom, to be super fair, Judge Doom was written way better, and his inclusion was actually noteworthy, but not Jenner. Yeah. <laughs> to do Judge Doom, credit. <laughs> well, let's 
<laughs> I mean, let, let's look at this for a second. So, you know, you know, I know is that does it say something subverted expectations. Um, <laughs> he's the only character that didn't subvert the expectations around it either, right? I mean, again, you know, very old rat guy, great owl. Like, I mean, these were terrifying things <clears throat> that, I mean, again, the way the owl was introduced in any other film would have been, uh, oh, you thought that was the bad. You thought that was the threat. No, this is the threat. Yeah, yeah. And of course, they all turned out to be extremely helpful instead, right? Yeah, he, he didn't need to be so, <laughs> I'm going to kill them all. It, I mean, it, it, it didn't help. <laughs> yeah, it did. It... Yeah, yeah. Be antagonistic, not a villain. It's fine to do that. But, well, I mean, the I situation, also... like everything was stacked against the Brisbees, anyways. Yeah. Like, you didn't need, like, that wasn't even a cherry on top. That was more of like, uh, someone doesn't like almonds, so you've sprinkled on some of that almond powder. Yeah. And, and I think, I think in some cases is almost a failing of Don Bluth. One of my other favorite animated films of all time, uh, you know, that's not Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> is um, Anastasia. Which one is that again? Um, Russian princess. Whole family dies. She's the missing princess. No um, idea. Yeah, I think it was around 97-ish. Let's just say, um, like, but, when I was a kid, somewhere in between seeing Little Mermaid and apparently crying because I didn't want to leave the theater, and seeing Sharon, Lois, and Bran in concert live, nice. I pretty, I pretty much went to, like, action cartoon. Yeah. Like, I went um, typical boy, like, running around with finger guns and <laughs> stick swords like that was me well i had a sister and i fell in love with, with a lot of these other ones um i mean they're good yeah i mean like objectively they're great stories anyway back to my point with this yes. one here um so and it, it's about like the the russian revolution right mm -hmm. she's the she's the lost princess of the of the of the romanov romanov line the, the, right and of course, Rasputin, you know, killed them all. And she's basically lost her memories. And there's some grifters trying to find the lost princess to get a bunch of money from the grandma. Mm. And she ends up actually being her, but doesn't know it because amnesia. Uh, and the story is really great, the, like, the, the interactions there. But they bring Rasputin back from the dead, so they have a villain. And it's the same thing. It's just like, you didn't need this. You had such a good story there already. But I'm sure it had been more integral to the plot. Uh, kinda? Not really. Uh, no. <laughs> no, it's not. Because, I mean, the, the, the plot is in that one there, and we go on a complete tangent, the plot in that one there is them trying to grift and her basically finding herself, right? Um, and that is the overall part, plot. You know, you got the bit of the romance. You got that bit of the, the grandma just tired of all these grifters and going, oh, no, you're literally the only person who could know this thing. <laughs> right? To, so she finds her family again, that type of thing. But you have to have the villain trying to stop it all from happening. <laughs> again, I think it's just that 
again, I, I wonder if it's that old school Disney, you need to have a Maleficent or, mm. or, or something like that. And that's what, what drives those decisions. Right. The, the problem, like if that was a, their intention, then they just failed. Yeah. I agree. They failed with that. <laughs> Like if they if they came out and I read a thing that said straight up, yeah, Jenner is exactly what we want and everything happened exactly as it should have occurred. We weren't trying to do anything special. I'd be like, okay, yeah, like I don't agree with those choices, but it's also not my piece. And yeah, legitimately, I probably could not write a better. But to be fair, be fair, I. It's the only thing in the movie that pulled me out. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I could get over some of the overacting voice stuff from Mrs. Grisby. Yeah. I could get over the comedic relief crow. Had too many lines in the book. <laughs> I'm just like, it's a cartoon. For There's always this character. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised it didn't turn into a genie and started singing Prince Alice. You know my favorite part about about Jeremy the Crow, because mm. um, because I have that same thing. It's like, oh, really enough, and that's exactly how Brisby treats him. Yep, the See, entire film. That's 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 what allowed me to actually connect with Mrs. Brisby, because I was yeah. like, I, I don't understand these parental concerns. Yeah, I get what's going on. But at a deep emotional level, like I don't understand this panic. Yeah. And then she goes and treats Jeremy in that way, and I'm like, I mean, I try not to be like that to people, because yeah. there's always someone or multiple people in your life that may be that type of person. Yeah. I do my best to be welcoming and friendly, but I understand the tone. Yeah and her feelings on that subject yeah and it, it that's what allowed me to click with her yeah and, and she she tries to be nice about it too it's like oh yeah i can't remember exactly what it was basically it's like oh yeah we could be friends goodbye now <laughs> and he just doesn't get the hit it's just um i actually think it really that interaction i think actually really saved that inclusion of the jeremy character mm-hmm Right. Well, the, th the thing is, I I think the movie would be less good without Jeremy. Yeah. Because it's that juxtaposition of the light and the dark, which is what would make this friendly. So mm -hmm. if we're thinking about the art friendly, uh, scary. So if we were to think about this from a Spooktober point of view. Yeah. Not having those ups and downs in levity and then that darkness would have yeah, actually and, impacted it negatively it would have been yeah. less scary for him. yeah um or like I, I saw people kind of discussing this too is like without that this movie is just oppressive Yes. Well, like, a lot of that is on the end. 
yeah yeah like, but it, it, it's one of those things like his his levity didn't take away from the film like it could like he was clearly the comic relief but it was um it was tasteful i mean we've seen there's been enough films out lately where it's just comic relief for comic relief sake. I'm looking at you, Star Wars, <laughs> where you just completely ruin the mood. And this... Wait, what's a Star Wars? <laughs> it's something about space wizards. That sounds great. <laughs> um... <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, oh. no, I, I agree though. The, well, the point that you start getting annoyed with the comedy relief character is at the same point that Mrs. Brisby also gets annoyed. Yeah. So when she starts trying to shoo him away, you're on that emotion. Yeah. Like you, you totally get what's going on. So you also want that to occur. Yeah. So. I get. Uh, I think that's why the inclusion didn't bug me so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't like the character, but that's on a, as much as I would not person at them in life. I'd probably not be initially keen on them. Unless, you know, they're that stereotype where their heart is just in a super good place or they're a really good person. Yeah. Because I'll make big exceptions for that kind of person. Yeah. Um, and I think... I think Jeremy is a good example of another aspect of the film. Um, it's again, going back to that juxtaposition as scary and as dark and as foreboding as this movie is. I, you always feel hopeful. You don't feel lost. You, you don't feel like, like you always feel there's a chance, mm. right? Like there's hope and optimism throughout the film, even even with Brisby, you know, shaking for like half the film. Again, understandably, there's still the hope and the determination and optimism there that she's like, I can do this, I can, I can find a way to make this work, and I think Jeremy helps with that a bit too because he is that I think so that lighter character because it lightens the move especially when it's starting to feel really depressing yeah I think one of the other things that probably connected me with um, Mrs. Brisby is that initially she was going to be called Mrs. Frisbee <laughs> anyone who knows me is I'm a very big disc enthusiast I like dogs <laughs> I like motorbikes and I like to play ultimate and disc golf so I just instantly had a connection with her or one of the same heart in fact that's actually why they changed her name because yes. they're worried about leak legalities um As... the book of course is called uh, uh Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nick mm. so yeah one thing I had several situations they kept talking about Jonathan <clears throat> Jonathan Brisby everyone knew was talking about Jonathan everyone knew Jonathan was 
And like, there's a few points there where I was just like, why? I'd rather be watching that story right now. Mm. The way that they're talking about this other character you never get to meet. Yeah. And it it makes me sad that they went with a sequel in 98 about Timmy. Yeah. Instead of doing like a prequel about Jonathan. Because mm -hmm. I'd like to see his story explored. But the so NIM, the animal testing center, they, I love the inclusion of it. And I think that's why I was drawn towards the Jonathan storyline. Mm. But I think one of the reasons was I was like being pushed away from the Mrs. Brisby storyline. Okay. Just because of the surrounding surrounding characters like Jenner. Mm. Some of like these weird things, weird inclusions that they did in that to kind of harsh on the inclusion of a villain to step back. It's like could have been the cat. Could have been dragon. Yeah. And it didn't even necessarily have to be an intelligent cat. Like it didn't have to say anything. Yeah. But it could do mean and evil things, like it's already this adversary of the entire yard. Yeah. Uh, so just the way that they went with the story is what pushed me out. Um, the only thing that kept me in the story, Mrs. Brisby, the quality of her writing mm -hmm. and the animation surrounding her. Like, there's just something... I don't, I don't know what you would call it, but like, just a person who's had all the bad cards dealt to them. It's just pushing forward because it's all that they can do. Like that's a story worth watching. Yeah. And the fact that I was being pushed away was bad because it's weird. This was a bad thing. For me. Yeah. So that's when I started to wander. Yeah. And that's when I started going like, tell me more about Jonathan because I just want to kind of exit this story right now. Yeah. And I mean, but, the like two minutes we get where we see Jonathan's story, yeah, was again just phenomenal and heart wrenching, and the yeah. screams of the mice. The I, I was kind of weaving in and out of points there, but the way that they talk about Nim as legend. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Because uh, you don't, like, to start, you don't know what Nam is until, like, halfway through the movie. And then, I mean, they could have pushed that back, but it wasn't misplaced where it was. Yeah. But, them talking about Nim and its relation to Mrs. Brisby, I thought it was a nice inclusion, especially, like, you know, them talking it's like the phone calls to the yeah. uh farmhouse people it's like you don't know anything about any rats being weird yeah it's like obviously this this place knows their rats escaped yeah they're trying to find them oh. uh, 
So that that was the only like that Timmy's health and the movement to the house were the the three three story lines during the like bookends. Yeah. And then it's other than that it's kinda of just like yeah, hey, let's kill Nicodemus and Jenner and the other guy who turned out to be good, but he still got to die. I know, right? I, it's yeah, yeah. Again, it, it's it's a shame because yeah, just realizing you don't need a villain. <laughs> you would have been, you would have been fine. Just you had enough antagonists. You they clearly show that you can just have the threat be enough. I mean, again, the tractor, terrifying. <laughs> Dragon, terrifying. Why do we need the sabotage? <laughs> again, like, like, like again, that smallest change that that we mentioned. Like, I think you nailed it on the head. It's just have him convince convince him so there's not as many rats to go out and help. And then it ends in the death of Nicodemus. Yeah, yeah. Same events occur, and then I mean, they they could have made the jewel makes sense mm -hmm. by actually like have it glowing more maybe have that old mystic guy do more floaty things than he already yeah like a little bit more maybe the great owl yeah have some type of magical moment yeah. to tell you like there is magic in this world yeah. but i was just it didn't it didn't pull me out yeah, All right. and I was like, I did go big sigh. Yeah, and that's fair. Yeah, it didn't pull me out either. Like, I mean, unlike you know that um, what was it? The uh, kitty bracelet from Nobody. <laughs> I love how that's the thing we are the most torn about. <laughs> Like yeah. you're like it doesn't make sense at all, and I'm like it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Anyways, we yeah. If you yeah. haven't checked out the nobody conversation, go go back and check that out because yeah. that that was a good catch. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I think a slight change that I would have done to help, and it, again didn't take me out it was just kind of like a i mean this is a magic thing would have been nice to have more set up um the change i would have done to have that set up is have her have it like don't have it given to her halfway through the film have it as a this is a keepsake from her husband mm. so she keeps it close right and then you have um the owl nicodemus comment on it or okay yeah. you know you know have have just some well, to even say, that. like, there's power to that. Yeah. My, actually, I just came up with a bit of a fallacy in it. Mm. Part of the, part of the tear here is the intelligence is based in science. Yes. In this film. So the random inclusion of magic at the end just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So the, yeah, the inclusion of, it's called high magic. Yeah. Much like high science is, oh, we can do this super magical thing because science. This yeah. is we can do it because of mysticism. Having the inclusion of that was just 
I can see why you would be jarred by it. Yeah. I, I'm surprised I didn't immediately jump to that and start <laughs> ranting about it. Yeah. I, I think... So, yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking of the film, there's, there's two other big instances that jump out to me as magic or high science or like that have that crossover. So one of them is the, like the scrying glass that Nicodemus uses. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's got a little bit of a technological look to it. So most people like, I didn't seem think it was a crystal ball. I think it was, it was more like a hologram or something. Yeah. Yeah. Using so, these glowing gems to yeah. project onto it. Yeah. It's the only other place of magic that I can think of is the right at the beginning of the film when he's giving that little bit of backstory and there's the pen floating and doing the writing like well, Nic- that's literally the only other piece of of magic well nicodemus did float the container to it that was holding the crystal. Mm. right yeah that's fair uh but i mean it wasn't showy enough to imply that it was the crystal that did that yeah. I mean, they could have, like, maybe he could have been holding the crystal and sent the box away. Yeah. Or some nonsense. Of course, then the random inclusion of, you know, courage makes it glow bright. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? There's just no standing. Like, the, the, not the formula, but the, the structure of the magic and just didn't. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly it. Uh, I mean, the courage is what makes it glow bright. I mean, Risby showed nothing but courage throughout the entire film, in my mind. Uh, or bravery, like. I mean, I I think it's a case of semantics. There's, I mean, I could I could make uh an argument that it's not technically either it was just a person doing what they had to do because of a situation uh i'm not gonna argue it though because she definitely had some very brave and courageous moments Mm -hmm. but but i i see what you mean but it just makes like even that line that that reason for it glowing is kind of like yeah there's probably other places that could have shown up too and didn't but it's a minor point in the long run of the film. Oh. Well, exactly. Yeah. So on the spooky meter, from the eyes of a child, I would give this film 10 out of 13. Ghouls. Yeah. I, I, would, have, I would have to agree with that. From it's... a movie perspective as i am now as an adult (laughs) i would storyline just brings it so down for me i would give this five successfully escaped lab animals out of ten okay i'm going to give it Hmm. i'm gonna say 
Man, I can't. There's no half in this scenario. You can't have half an escaped animal. <laughs> uh, well, you can because the the one rat that escaped was half the size of the other. I'll accept it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna give it uh, a six and a half. I okay. think I think before my rewatch of it, I would have given it higher. Mm. I I think, and my reasoning around that is the stuff that took me out of the film here now, again, like Jenner in particular, just being so unnecessary that it unfortunately like takes away a point and a half on its own because it breaks. It's unneeded in the story. Uh, but everything else is just, everything else is just done so masterfully around it that the movie sticks with you. I, and I can definitely see why a lot of people call this one of the best animated films ever. Outside of that, mm. outside of that little bit of story stuff. And even as we were talking about it today, we're like, yeah, it's there. There's only a couple minutes and we just kind of forget about that part and go with everything else. <laughs> to, to elaborate on mine, it is the animation and the, like, the way Brisby was done. And the music that secured the solid five, mm. but these the lacking story direction and inclusion of characters that didn't need to be there, and entire circumstances that could have just been cut, yeah, just left me one, yeah, yeah. And that being said, like I am securely or very much saying that. Based on the animation, what they did, especially with some of the ways that they animated Brisby, mm -hmm. means that it could never drop below that five mark. Yeah. And that and that's a, a fair rating. I mean, there are objective issues with it, but there's a lot of objectively good things about it. Yeah. And regardless of the regardless of the uh, i guess middling ratings let's call it um i think this is still a must watch regardless of that like yeah i'm i'm in a position that everyone should watch it times hmm. preferably as a kid because you can't just you can't get scarred enough as a kid yeah <laughs> uh yeah i would have been terrified for sure yeah the majority of the movie said it stuck with me I know we've talked about this with um, some of the Ghibli films where there's just kind of that fairy tale aspect and, and stuff. It's like, even though I hadn't seen it in ages, the main points, the good points, they stuck in my head. I completely forgot Jenner was a thing. <laughs> Are we talking about Ghibli movies? Because most of the bad points just stuck stick in my head. Yeah. I've uh, only had one so far that's kind of been like that. <laughs> that we've reviewed. I mean, I said very positive things and That's very true. negative things. <laughs> <laughs> With that, this has been Spooky and the Beast Media Club. Join us next time for more scares when we discuss E.T. the Extraterrestrial with special guest Ashley Good. If you found yourself scared, give us a like and a follow or join us in the discussion in the comments or at our Discord. Check out Beardy and the Beast for a full list of services and platforms that we're on. Thanks.